They are here. At this time, we're going to go ahead and transition into a time of um, worship through the word as we just hear from scripture um, and, and grow in knowing and understanding who God is uh, and, and our relationship to him. And so if you've been within uh, our church here for a couple months, we've started a new sermon series. We've been going through a sermon series in the gospel of John or the gospel according to John. And if you remember, uh, as Scott's been walking us through this, we know that John, so different from any of the other gospel writers, he's pretty much went from zero to 60 in like five seconds, like Jesus is God. He didn't do the whole Christmas story, birth story, this, that, and the other. Nope. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He is God, right? And so right away, chapter one, he was not holding back. Just boom, in your face. What are you going to do with it? This is who this man is. This is what it's about. This is what he comes to represent. And as he continues to just unpack that for us, he uses different stories or miracles as we see in chapter 2 with the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine. Something pretty much impossible, right? Because there's a lot of chemical changes and things that only God can do. And Jesus did that. He is God. And then these last two couple weeks we've been in chapter 3 or the beginning of chapter 3 where... John takes us into this deep conversation that Jesus has with one of the prominent teachers of the time. And that's Nicodemus, right? One who's supposed to know that all entire works of God, all the scriptures. But yet he did not understand what Jesus was coming to do. And the invitation to be born again, right? As he asked the question, well, do I got to be born again? As old as I am, I'm like... You know, he's probably in his 60s at 70s at that point. So just thinking the idea of being born again, that's kind of ridiculous. But Jesus is like, no, we're talking about a whole different kind of birth here. And a birth that really is not a physical birth, but a spiritual one. One that only God is able to accomplish and bring about. And so this morning, we're going to conclude the sermon series here by looking at the end of chapter 3 as John unpacks for us. It gives us yet another testimony of John the Baptist who was sent ahead of Jesus to declare who Jesus is and what he's come to do um, uh, for us as we get to see that. And so just clearly distinguishing that John and other leaders like John, they are not the Messiah. They are not Jesus. But Jesus is altogether distinct. Jesus is, as a phrase that we'll see in the passage that we're reading today, Jesus is above all. He's one and only. Then this is who he is. This is what he's come to do. Um, in our place. And so we're going to go ahead and read the passage together. I'm going to have you stand up as we read the scripture. Would you stand if you are able and go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. We're looking at verse um, verses 22 through 36. And it should be up there if you need a Bible, if you got it on your phone or in front of you, there should be Bibles there if you don't have your own Bible. Um, it's going to be up here in ESV. I'm reading um, in CSV. CSB, so if you're hearing different words, there's some different versions going on, and you probably got a whole different version yourself. Uh, But it says here, John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in the Aenean near Salem, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized, since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with us across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, 
No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice so that this joy of mine is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son. And has given all things into his hands. And the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains in him. Would you pray with me here as we get ready to receive the word? Father, we thank you for the privilege of the word of God. Lord, we do not want to take it for granted. That we can have it. That we can receive it. That we can hear from it. And not just that, but God, it transforms and shapes our life. Thank you that you speak through your word to us, God. Thank you that you speak in ways that we can understand. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me. Would you put your words on my lips that your people would hear what it is that you want to say to them, God. That you would meet them where they are, Jesus, with the truth of your word as you reveal yourself in it. God, I pray, guard our hearts, remove any distraction from us, God. Where our minds are unable to grasp or understand what it is that you're sharing, God, would you allow us to be able to do so? Each person here in some way, God, would you give them something from this passage, from this scripture, to connect with the truth of who you are and who they are in you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for allowing me to be able to share this word with this people this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. All right. So our passage, as you see there, the first few chapters are just essentially painting the picture or the scene for us. As he says, after this, right? After this, after what, right? So at 2.13, everything from 2.13 up to this point was happening in Jerusalem. Jesus was just there over the Passover um, as he was just sharing the, some different things, the conversation with Nicodemus about being a born again. That's where that took place. And so it was after this where they were in Jerusalem. Now the scene is shifting. They left Jerusalem. The of Judea went out to the countryside to this region, um, and so where Jesus and his disciples are ministering to the people, particularly through baptism, is what the passage tells us is how they were ministering. But it wasn't just Jesus, John the Baptist was also there, and he was also ministering, and he was also baptizing people. And so people were coming to John to be baptized, so he was still in full ministry, and, and, and the apostle John here gives us even just the, 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 the clarity that, hey, this is because he had not been arrested yet at this point. Eventually, down the road, John would get arrested. So this is kind of a glimpse and a picture and a timeline where both John the Baptist and Jesus were ministering alongside together and at the same time continuing to share the things of God. There was still purpose for John's uh, work, the work that he was doing and the work that he was called to do. And so while they're in this area, there's plenty of water. He even tells us this is a place... The name of the place even means a place of many springs. And so there's plenty of water to share. Both Jesus and John can be there 
baptizing the people. And so then what happens? So Jesus is ministering along with his disciples. John is also ministering along with his disciples. People are going to him. But then a dispute breaks out between John's disciple and another Jew. Right? So there's, and, and this particular verse just kind of seems out of place. It seems just like, okay, what, what's going on? It's an awkward thing happening here. But it must have just been like a glimpse of the moment. They, they're literally having an argument about like, you know, so one dude's like, no, you got to wash both the feet and the hands. And the other dude's like, no, that's not how purification works. You got to wash your head and your hands and your feet type of conversation. And then I don't know if they were just walking by Jesus and caught a glimpse of what Jesus was doing and recognizing having been John's disciples, having seen that John was the one who was called to do this kind of ministry. Like, well, whoa, something's not right with that. Okay. So it wasn't even where it was like, right now it's about purification, and all of a sudden it shifted to, okay, what is this guy here doing? Because their response was to go to John and tell him, hey, the one that you testified about, he's baptizing people. He's baptizing people. He's ministering to people. And everyone is going to him. This wasn't a, 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 we're excited, hey, the dude that you were telling us about, you were right about him, right? He's doing what he's supposed to do. No, this was a, I don't know if you hear the tone or the sound of a little envy, a little jealousy kind of in their, in, in their coming to John with this. Uh, and before it wasn't even about Jesus, they were about purification. And then all of a sudden it shifted to what Jesus is doing and how he's ministering. And actually reality is later on, uh, the, the apostle clarifies for us in chapter 4 that Jesus wasn't even baptizing. It was the disciples who were baptizing. And so Jesus was training them up and preparing them for the ministry. But this became a, a thing of tension, particularly for John's disciples. Right? Parents, can you imagine? It's kind of like the picture, like if your kids, like one of your kids came to, to essentially tattletale on the other, just the idea of like, hey, he's cleaning up his room and putting away all his toys, Right? Essentially thinking like that they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. But it's like, oh, what do you mean by that? You know, they should be doing that. But, but there's misunderstanding. There's miscommunication there with that whole concept of like, no, they should be doing that. But they're set on their own ways. Their own desires misled them to think that somehow what Jesus was doing was wrong. Um, and so they allowed and gave their hearts over to envy and jealousy because of what they saw Jesus beginning to do. Because really, if we understand that culture, very much your reputation is tied to the teacher that you follow. And so as being John's disciples, man, if Jesus is coming on the rise and he's going up, right? And if John's ministry is diminishing, in a sense, right? And they don't fully understand that and we'll see that more. Then it's like, whoa, if John if John's goes to... We go to, right? Because we're connected with him. Our reputation is along with his. Like, because it's tied to the teacher. It's a tie to the one that we're learning from. The one who's trained us up. The one who's ties us up. Because in their minds, what Jesus is doing and what John is doing, there's a difference there. They couldn't quite sift through that. But Jesus' own disciples also kind of believed in that in a sense, right? Later on down the road, John who writes this for us, Sons of Thunder, right? They had their mom go up to Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, grant us that we would be at your right hand and left hand, right? So when you increase, when you come to power, we want us to be 
with you too. We want us to be exalted with you. So with the reputation of the teacher goes the reputation of the disciple. But I love John's response. He never wavers. He never shifts. Right? And this is not the first time that people are approaching him and asking him, Hey, where do you stand? Who are you? Right? And some even thinking that he himself was the Messiah. He himself is the Christ. He himself is Elijah. We see that earlier. Like, are you the prophet? Are you this? Well, then who are you? Okay? And sometimes it can be easy for us or it can be easy for a man in the position of John to what? To maybe give in to that. We're vulnerable to that. All of us included. Easy. How easy it is to shift to that. But John remains steady and grounded. I appreciate his response. As he says, as he reminds them. He just starts off being humble, recognize, recognizing himself in light of who God is. He tells them, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. Let's settle down. Let's hear this. Okay. Anything that anyone receives is from heaven. It's been granted to them from heaven. So this language of heaven is kind of like, uh, 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 I shouldn't say nice way, but it's a way of declaring that it is from God. It is a gift from God without using the proper name of God. For those of you who understand, traditionally for the Hebrews, they never outright said the name of God as in Yahweh. And so things like heaven, it's from heaven. You've received this from heaven or from above is in another way saying you've received this from God. So John is like, no, no, even though I have this ministry, Right? I have received this from God. I only have it because God has given it to me. I did not earn this. I did not create this by myself. I did not even grow this by myself. I'm not even going to be the one that causes it to continue. I've received this from God. I received it from God. And then he affirms the truth of the questions that they're asking about. That I have received this particular ministry from God. I am not, I am not, I repeat, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. I am not the sent one. I'm not the messenger of God. Who's going to bring even a greater change than what you believe um, is going to come about? And then he follows that with, I've testified to you about this. Saying, I've told you, this is not the first time. How many times have I been telling you, right, that I am not the Christ? That I am not the Messiah. But the one that is. Has come. He is here. That's actually. My role. That's my job. As I understand it. I have been sent. To prepare the way for him. To speak about him. To point to him. To tell you that he is coming. And that he is here. So turn and do go to him. John clarifies there and affirms his calling it in his confidence in who God is by saying, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ. I've testified about this. I've told you about this. Don't 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 get it. Let's let's not let's not get this messed up here, fellas. Okay? Let's be clear. Who I am, who he is, there is a difference. And it's so huge for us to know that and recognize that for ourselves. Recognize the difference here that John is declaring, but recognize for ourselves who God is as far as being above all these other great leaders or 
people that we may know. And like the great teacher that he is, John gives an example, an illustration. Okay, Thankful when uh, they give an illustration in the, in, in the scripture itself so that you don't have to try to come up or build one by yourself. Okay, of, of trying to clarify what it is that I'm trying to tell you. So John is like, let's look at a wedding, for instance. He uses the illustration of a wedding. Right? So, when there is a wedding, he starts by declaring, the bride belongs let me read this sorry i lost my place he who has the bride is the groom so this is not a new idea so john is using the picture of a wedding this is not a new idea but john would have been learning this he would have been hearing this throughout the scriptures of the old testament that the bride the people of israel belong to god they are his bride so let's look at a few passages here to just get this. If you want to bring up the next one there in Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 5. Okay. Isaiah 54, 5 says this. This would have been scriptures that John was familiar with. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth. He is called. Again, you can jump to the next one. Ezekiel 16, 8 says when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. So this idea of Israel, the people of God, being the bride of God, belonging to God. God is their bridegroom. It's not a whole new idea here, but it's throughout the old testament scriptures as the prophet jeremiah speaks of it as hosea speaks of it and then we know that though john understood this from these old testament passages he did not understand the extent of it that christ would achieve in the church the people of god being called the bride of christ right love your wife as christ loved the church see that ephesians 5 as well as second corinthians and so he builds for us this picture the church the people of god belong to god he is the groom i am not okay because ladies can you imagine actually we'll start with the fellas right married people in here okay can you imagine back in your wedding day or whatever it is your best man okay, trying to take place or lay claim to your wife whoa whoa is right Right? There'd be no civility about it. As I think about it, I don't know about y'all, man. There'd be a little bit of a smackdown to be laid down. I grew up on WWE and WWF, y'all. So, got, I got a little bit of that in me. It comes out every once in a while. But, and then, at the same time, ladies, right? Can you imagine your husband's best man trying to claim you as his bride or stepping into that place? Right? That's right. This is the picture here. The ridiculousness of that. Okay? The bride belongs to the groom. I don't know any culture at any time where this would be acceptable. And John understood this. And this is what he's trying to get at. So he says, I'm not the groom. But what I am is the best man. I am the friend of the groom. And traditionally, in Hebrew culture, the best man, right, or the friend of the groom, 
is the one who organizes and takes care of everything for the wedding. Matter of fact, there are some traditions where the best man or the friend of the groom is the one who walks up the bride to his friend, the groom. Right? Because it is his joy. It is his joy. He's the one who stands with the groom and celebrates with the groom that he gets his bride and listens to the groom. As his joy is fulfilled, so is, is, is the joy of the best man. So is the joy of the friend. It's fulfilled in the groom being able to take his place, being able to lay claim to his bride that belongs to him. All right. John says, I am not the Messiah, and I am not the groom. He is. God is. Jesus And even in, and so as we consider John's clear understanding of his place and what God has called him to and the ministry that he served, his whole point, his whole heart was always to what? To point to Jesus through it all. And so for us, a question we can consider here as we look at John's own testimony of who he is, right, and who he's not, we can ask ourselves, for each of us here, we're all called to some type of ministry. There's some type of calling. There's some type of role in our life, no matter who you are. If you've trusted in Jesus, there's a ministry that you're called to, that is in your life, that you are equipped and wired for. And when I use the term ministry here, or at least how I'm coming to understand it, ministry is representing Jesus in word and deed, no matter what, where you are at or what you are doing. And so you can be in ministry as what? You can be in ministry as a mom and dad family, right? There's scriptures that talk about your family being your first ministry. You can be in ministry as a janitor, right? Sometimes we can look down on positions like that, but man, if you do that with excellence, to the best of your ability, to the glory of God, right? And by your actions and words, you are rightly representing who Jesus is through this job or role that seems to everyone else meager, pointless, insignificant, then you are bringing glory to him. As a police officer or soldier, Right, You are in ministry by the work that you do. That's a calling from God. And how do you do that? As a teacher as well. So what is that ministry that God has called you to? What does that look like for you to be in ministry, to be in partnership with God? But ultimately, and then I'll follow up to that question is, does that ministry, does that work, does that whatever life, does it point to Jesus? Or does it point back to you? Does it exalt you? Does it lift you up? You and your ability, you and your giftings, you and your achievements, you and your whatever it is, and all these different things, or does it point to Jesus? Because it should. Right? And that's what we're seeing here from John's own ministry, from John's own life, from John's own testimony. It says, hey, in all things that I'm doing, I want to point to him. That's what I was sent. That's what I was called. And while John had a distinct role in calling to say, hey, he's the one who is coming and has come, we have an extension of that role as a believer to say, hey, He's the one who has come. He's the one who is here. He's the one who is returning. Each of us as believers are called to that. So what does that look like? Are, you, are we even okay having our life point to Jesus? Right. Kind of taking that. That's not me. Um, are we okay having our lives point to Jesus? And so what I hope happens and what I hope we allow God to do is what 
takes place in the heart of John with this next response as he ends as his testimony. As he says, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase. He must become greater and I lesser. You guys, and let's, let's, let's understand this, right? Because sometimes in our society, we, 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 we can miss that. Because what do we hear in our culture, right? Gain, be exalted, increase, be the best, be the top, be the whatever, right? In anything, all things. But John, in humility here, says, no, 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 no. I must, must, in, must he must increase, I must decrease. In this, right? The deception sometimes is that somehow we lose our worth or value or significance in becoming less and Jesus becoming more. But as believers, that's what it is. He has to become more. He should become more. He is God, right? The more He's increasing, the more we're allowing His inner work and the work of the Holy Spirit to take place in our lives and in the things that we're doing, He is going to be increasing. We're not talking about a false humility here to look lowly on ourselves. But no, being known for exactly who we are, no more, no less. Right? That's perfect, true humility. And that in freedom, because we have our significance and security, like John and Jesus, our worth doesn't come from the ministry. His worth didn't come from all the people that were coming to him for, to be baptized or for all the people that came to listen to him out in the desert. His worth had always been in Jesus. And it is when he's secure and rooted in that that he can say, it's okay. He's supposed to. That's where he belongs. He's supposed to be exalted. He's supposed to increase. And I decrease. I don't become less of a person. I don't become less worthy. I don't become less loved. I don't become less significant because of that. If anything become more complete when Jesus is rightly exalted you become more complete John in this place John the Baptist he fulfilled his role says I'm supposed with him increasing and everybody going to him that was what I was called to that's what I was supposed to do with my life I fulfilled it right well done good and faithful soldier well done, good and faithful one. You've run the race. You've arrived. This was John. He got to see God's faithfulness as he comes to the end. It's like the one that I was supposed to talk about, the one for whom I'm supposed to prepare the way. Here he is. He's here. That is my joy. And it's my joy to have him increase, to have him known, to have people go to him even more than they would come to me. And so as we heard the, the testimony of John here, it, it leaves a question for us um, of, then who is, right? John, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the bridegroom, who is? And so the next few verses will take us into that as we shift, and it kind of shifts a little bit. So, end quote, John the, the Baptist, and now John the Apostle takes back over, and he says, the one who is from heaven, or the one who is from above, again, the one who is from God, he is above all. So this is the one who fits his place. This is the one 
who fit the testimony of John. And, and, and immediately the apostle makes for us a distinction here of the one who's from heaven, who's above all, and the one who's from earth. He said, the one who's from earth speaks in earthly terms. What is he getting at here as he talks about speaking from earthly terms? The usage of speaking in earthly terms and being ones from earth really is defining our um, finiteness, right? That we are finite as humans. We are limited in our knowledge and understanding, whereas God, the one from heaven, is not. John and us, we are finite humans, limited in our knowledge and understanding. So we cannot fully or rightly testify to the things of God, but only he who is from heaven can do so. All right, so consider, let's consider this example. A little bit of geography. Anybody like geography? Or okay, three people. Must have been your least favorite subject in school. Anyway, here we go. All right, Africa. Is it a continent or a country? Okay, good deal. Y'all look at me like it's, you. Some people get that wrong, okay? All the time, all right? So Africa is the continent made up of 54 countries, and I happen to be from the newest one, South Sudan. Okay, and my brother Adolphus here is from Liberia. So consider uh, also from Africa. All right, if you wanted to know more about Liberia, right, would you ask me, or would you ask him? Yeah, probably him, right? Because even though, in in some ways, I can, right, based on my relationship with him, or from others who are from other countries in Africa, I can tell you based off what I learned from them what I've heard about it, okay? But I can't really tell you because I haven't experienced it. I haven't lived there. I didn't grow up there. I can tell you about South Sudan, but I can't tell you about Liberia, can I? Right? We've missed something. At the same point, John is trying to make to this point. Those from an earthly standpoint can speak fully to the things of God. Can speak or testify to them in the same way that the one from heaven who's above all is able to to testify to those things. Now, my, so my testimony of, if I were to tell you about Liberia, can be very valid, can be very true, right? But most of it comes out of knowledge. And I could even maybe go there and experience it, but it still wouldn't be the same as uh, Adolphus, who's lived there most of his life and has experienced that, speaks the language, has relationships, right? What I can tell you, what I can testify to, while it's true and valid, still falls short. Okay? And so... John's testimony of Jesus is true and it's valid and it's good, right? But Jesus' testimony of himself, right, which affirms some of the things John's testimony is to affirm what Jesus has testified about himself is what um, we're getting at here. So the one from heaven testifies. He's the one alone who's able to truly able to tell us about the things of heaven because he's seen and heard. He comes from there. Right, taking us back to the chapter one in John, if we remember that, right? Jesus says, "No one has seen God." Remember that? No one has seen God, but God the Son, who sits at the right hand of the Father, has revealed Him, has made Him known to us. So, in this way, we have seen God, because Jesus has revealed Him. He testifies to what He's seen and heard. He knows the true experience of the things of heaven so much more than we or any others. But even though he has this grounded 
true testimony of himself, of the things of heaven, of God the Father, the scriptures tells us, yet no one believed him. No one accepted his testimony. No one accepted his testimony. While we do not get to see him in the physical, like those who walked with him early on, we do have the testimony of Jesus through the scriptures. In this word, he has revealed himself. That's where we get a true understanding and a true testimony of who Jesus is. Many times, friends, and many people fall and err in this way. When we take the testimony of others about Jesus and value, especially of individuals, more than the testimony of God himself, as revealed in the scriptures. And we know there's various groups that have fallen in that, that would claim Christianity, right? Whether that's the JWs, or, or um, the Mormons, as well as the Seventh-day Adventists. There's some of those things where the, the testimony of leaders that have come through these, denominations or groups, right, has been believed more than the testimony of Jesus himself, has been accepted more than the testimony of Jesus himself, particularly through the scriptures. So we must be careful in listening to and grounding and understanding. We want to understand who Jesus is as he's revealed himself in the scriptures and the testimony that he's given about himself. And so the passage goes on to say then, but those who accept so, Jesus testifies about himself, but not, there will be many that won't accept that. Or many who will accept testimonies of him that are false as well, that are not quite true. But those who accept his testimony affirm. So now we kind of get a summary of, of all the things that we've already seen in most of chapter 3 and the early parts of John. But those who accept affirm what, that God is true. And so when we receive and accept the testimony of Jesus about who he is, what he's come to do, we affirm that God is true. What is that saying? Right? Oftentimes we ask the question, what does God look like? Right? Because the idea before was that we didn't, we couldn't, we don't see God. Right? God looks like Jesus. Right? The things that he did whether it's talking to people, engaging with people. God looks like Jesus on the cross. That's what God looks like. What does God sound like? What are the things that God says? What did Jesus say? That's what he, that's, and if we believe him at that, if we believe the things that have said about him, that have been shown us about him, then we are affirming that God is true. Here is a real example of him. Again, for us, we don't get to see him in the physical, but the testimony that is in the scripture here is true, and we can believe and trust in that testimony. For time's sake here, we'll, we'll go quick through the rest of it. So then John goes on, like I said, the rest of it is really uh, an, an uh, affirmation and summary of who Jesus is as, as it talks about defining kind of some of these things, what is his identity, and then um, so because of this identity, then what, what comes of that? And we see the, uh, the apostle says that he is the one who speaks God's word. We just talked about that. The things that Jesus speaks because he's the one who's come from heaven. Because he's the one that's over all. 
He speaks God's word to us. He declares what is true of God to us. He's the voice that we want to listen to. Because, and he can speak to that because he's the one who's sent from God. He's been given the spirit without measure. Okay? Let's understand something. Without measure. Another way to say that? No limit. There's no limitation to it. And if you don't have a limit of God's spirit, that would make you what? I'm sorry. If you have just as much as God, you're most likely God, right? Okay? Because anything that has the same whatever attributes, the same spirit, the same whatever it is as God, is God himself. This is affirming who Jesus is. He's the son. He has the relationship with God. He is in complete fellowship before he came, while he was here, and even now, continuing on, he still has that relationship with God. He's loved by the Father. He has a loving relationship. All that he does is do comes out of a loving relationship with the Father. That is who Jesus is. And then he's been given. All things have been given into his hands. He has all resources, all authorities from the Father. He's trusted with all things from God. And so with all these qualifications, with these identities, what does that result in? What comes out of that? Well, if he is the one who's been sent, the one who speaks of God, the one who declares God, then he is the one alone who can bring about salvation, who can bring about eternal life. As we see that here, in the passage, it says, those that believe in him, repeat of John 3.16, those that believe in him, those that trust in him, have what? Eternal life. He's the one alone who can give it. He can do so much more. Right? He invites us into so much more. We receive eternal life. We do not perish. On the other side of that, though, not everyone will believe him. Not everyone will receive eternal life. There will be those that reject him. Although he has revealed all those things about himself. And what is what happens to, that, to, to those type of people? Okay? It says they will not see eternal life. Completely separated from it. The wrath of God remains on them. You know, we, oftentimes we get caught up on the whole wrath of God deal and we've talked through that. The wrath of God, listen, it's not, it's not a vengeful, I'm going to get you back, I need to hurt you, da-da-da-da-da. That's not what God is about, okay? Listen, God doesn't need to bring us to destruction. It does nothing to Him. We do a perfectly awesome job of that ourselves. By default, that is who we are. God does not. It does nothing for him to punish us, destroy us. We do a perfectly good job of that ourselves. But what he can do is save us. But not if we don't want it. Not if we reject him. Not if by our choice we push him. Hey, no, I'd rather stay in, in my lane. I'd rather stay on this road that I know is taking me to where it's taking me. And so, God is not bent on wrath, you guys, but He is a holy God. He is just, and His justice demands, and there will be consequences for our sins, because He's holy and just. 
And so we notice even with the rejection piece, who's the one who rejects? It's the people. We are those who reject. God has not rejected us. We are the one who rejected God. Remember the words of Romans. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't while we were perfect. It wasn't while we got it right. While we were still sinners. This is what he did on our behalf. And so as we come to a conclusion here, just some things to ask ourselves and to consider with where we're at. Do you believe the testimony of Jesus that he's spoken about himself? Even the testimony of Jesus affirmed through John, both the Baptist and the Apostle who writes about him. And so if that's the case, if you do, then have you trusted, because it's one thing to try to, to, to believe in the testimony, but have you trusted in him according to that testimony for salvation, for eternal life? And what do you wait for? And as we learned last week, that eternal life starts now, right? Don't wait till tomorrow. I don't think a couple of years from now I'm going to decide to follow Jesus, right? No, eternity starts now. Relationship with him, that's what we're made for. We're always going to feel empty and fall short unless we come to right relationship with him. Secondly, what do you believe and understand about Jesus? Because that is what we will testify about him as we learn from John. John believed Jesus who was what he, he Jesus is who he said he was. And that's what John testified about with his life, with his words, with his deeds. What we believe about Jesus is what we will testify about him. So what do you actually believe? It comes out. It will come out in your words and in your life. The evidence of that. And then thirdly, something to consider. As we're called in ministry, as we're involved in ministry or whatever it is, does that ministry point to Jesus? Or does it just exalt me? Does it just exalt you? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here as we close. And so to take those couple questions just to reflect and think on. Where are we at? Giving thanks to God. Would you join me in prayer as we um, close here? And as we close, I just actually want to invite you guys, as you feel comfortable, listen, when people met Jesus in the Gospels and in the Scriptures, oftentimes, and this is a posture. I've been learning a lot about posture. We've got, we got to learn it. Like the, the physical act of doing something speaks something, says something. Last time I had y'all open your hands and receive. Right now I'm going to invite you where you're at. We're going to get on our knees and be humble before God, knowing who He is. And rightly seeing who we are before Him. Because everybody that encountered Jesus and saw Him for who He truly is, what was their response? More times than not, they fell on their face. They were on their face before Him saying, You are Lord. You are God. I believe who you say who you are. I believe you will do what you say you will do. And so I want to invite, as you feel comfortable, I invite you to do that. And let's pray together and then we'll close out in worship. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, you are Lord. You are God. 
You are the God of eternity. You are the one who sent from heaven. You are the one who is above all, Jesus. You are the one who grants us eternal life. No one else. There is no one else. As John testified of you, Jesus, and he humbled himself and that said that you must increase because you are the one who's able to accomplish so much more than anything that he was able to do. God, come. Thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts for, for each brother and sister here, God, who has trusted in you. Lord, may they just be overwhelmed again with gratitude and thankfulness that cannot even be explained with words for what you've done. For who you are and what you've done in their lives. For those that are on the edge, God, and that are here and have never encountered you or trusted you with their lives. Jesus, may this be that moment now that they would come and say, you are the one who sent from above. You are the one who knows the Father. You are the one who testified of things beyond my understanding and comprehension. Would you come and meet me and grant me eternal life out of your grace and mercy. Lord, come and meet each of us in our own spaces. And no matter what we're at, no matter what our need is, God, may all of it come to a place of just glorifying and exalting you and lifting your name on high. Jesus, we praise you. Be Lord and God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.